0: Family is all about. It's about being together um, in the tough times, being together in the good times, celebrating with each other, uh, mourning with each other, crying with each other. And just as Ian was praying, before I dive into uh, what I wanted to share, something that's so helpful and a passage that's helped me and, and I trust will help a lot of you as you go through a process where things are unknown or you aren't sure and it's the passage of Daniel don't worry about turning to it some of you may have heard of the story of Daniel and the lion's den Uh, if not basically he was he was a man who stood up for what uh, for what he believed in in God and as a result in Babylon at the time he went through some tough stuff got thrown in a lion's den but uh, God ended up shutting their mouths and, and he didn't get taken out but before that what happened is is the king, through a number of other of his helpers, decided to build a huge statue to himself. So it was this monster statue, and basically he made an ordinance to say, all of you guys need to bow down uh, to the statue, otherwise you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel and his mates, who, who, who loved the real king, said, well, we aren't going to do this. And look at what happened. I just absolutely love the story because it's so helpful when we're facing a difficult situation. So the king says, um, uh, if you do not worship the statue, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So he was saying, guys, I'm the biggest king that there is in the known world, and uh, if you guys won't bow down to my statue, uh, I'm going to throw you into the fire. You're going to be sorted out. So Shadrach Meshach, uh, Abednego, this is early on in the story, uh, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to save us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. And I just love, it's the, it's the healthiest picture of dealing with tough situations, going, do you know what, God? We're gonna stand on you. We're gonna trust you. You're gonna come through for us. You're gonna bring healing. You're gonna, provi- bring, bring, gonna bring provision. You're gonna do, do this for us. We're trusting you for this. You're a God who can, prov- you can provide, you can heal. But even if not... And even if it doesn't come out exactly as we planned, we're still going to worship you because you're still the one true king. And I just think it's an amazing picture, an amazing, um, humble place for us to be in when we're in tough situations. So God, we are trusting you to break through like never before. We're trusting you to come through, which we are. And we're trusting God's going to. um, and, And we're trusting he's going to. But even if he doesn't come through in the way that we planned, Lord, you're still the one we're going to serve. And I just love that picture. And if, if just as we're praying or whatever else, you know, anyone puts on your heart to go pray for Brian afterwards or, or, or Mo later in the week, go for it. If he puts on your heart to say, actually, uh, w- w- we've got a little bit of spare resources and every little bit helps, and we want to chat to the Capes to see how we can help get in touch with them as well. We want to be family, we want to help and support each other in times of need. So, uh, it's, uh, I didn't put up a PowerPoint because I've just got a short passage today. So, whether you have a Bible or not, that's okay. Don't stress about that. I'm going to read it and it's going to be a short one to look at. So, if you do have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. And as I said, if you don't, it's a short one. You'll be able to remember it or, or, or share it with someone next to you. But 1 John 5, we're getting towards the end just today and then next week as well. And I'm, I've titled what I want to talk to you today, A Life That Overcomes. A Life That Overcomes. And uh, the, the title of 1 John 5 is Overcoming the World. So while you're turning there, the church office, some of you may know where it is in Alex Park, is quite close to a place called KFC. And a number of you may not have heard of KFC. Uh, most of you probably have. But uh, sometimes I get a craving for that chicken. And it's unfortunate, because the office used to be further away, and now we're a little bit closer. So it's a very quick pop down to the office if I get a craving. But I try and fight it, particularly after my message a few weeks ago where I was talking on being a bit healthier and uh, living the right way. So I, I try and fight this craving, but a twister is what really gets me. And if I start to think about a twister and what's inside that wrap the craving like overtakes. So I was having a day at the office last week, and I was trying to focus on work, but I just kept getting this picture of a twister in my mind, and I just, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And I thought, well, there's not going to be any police on Churchill because they aren't there at the moment, which is great, so I'm not going to have to bypass them, and it's just going to be a quick run. And it's sort of after lunchtime, so I'm going to miss the long queues. It's just... I'm, Lord, I've just got to go. And I need lunch anyway. So, I mean, I I didn't have lunch. So off I go on my drive to get the KFC Twister. And as I'm driving, uh, like the desperation was growing. You know, the desperation for the twister is growing. So I get there, and at Belgravia, it's always a tough call whether you park and go inside or whether you take the drive-through. I don't know if any of you had this battle for a time. This shows how much I think about it. So I'm always trying to work out: okay, if I park, how long's the queue inside? But you can't see it before you park. And at the same time, how long's the drive-through queue? And how many people will try and jump into your drive-through queue because Zimbabweans don't know how to queue properly? So I decided: well, it's after lunchtime. I'm sure the drive-through will be really quick. So I get to the drive-thru. You have to drive by reps, and you do a backtrack. And there's only like three cars on the road, so there's like another five there. I was like, it's fine. This is going to be quick. And I obviously hadn't seen the other four who were trying to push in come in the wrong way, but that was okay because I was going to get my twister. So I now go and... As I, as I turn in, I eventually get there, and it's probably been about 15 minutes, longer than I expected, but I'm now in the run. No one can push in front of me, and I'm excited for my Twister. And obviously, they, you know, they have those boards as you're driving to get you more excited. And I, I sort of saw there, well, there's the Twister, and then actually, there's also the Boxmaster, which is the second best. It's also a wrap. It's not quite as good as a twister. So I come around, and I'm, I'm very excited, except for the prices that have gone up at KFC. They have. Terrible thing. So that got me down a bit, but not enough to not go for my twister. So I get to there, and as I go, I'm just so excited. I'm just like, oh, please, I just have one classic twister. No chips or Coke, because I'm healthy. So just, just the twister. Uh, thank you. Yes, I am practicing what I preach. So I, I, I get there, and she's like, I'm sorry, sir, there's no wraps. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, well, it's obviously only for the twister because a boxmaster is a different sort of rap. So I said, okay, that's all right. I'll have the boxmaster. I'm sorry, sir. There's no wraps. Um, and it hit me hard <laughs> because I'd now waited half an hour for the twister that I've been thinking about since about 9.20 in the morning. And I-, I was really struggling to act in the way that I should. You know, in a loving manner, because at that point in time, I didn't think I could get past anything else. So anyway, I then said, well, what do you have? Oh, we've got everything else. So I thought, well, since I've waited half an hour, and I do need lunch, I might as well go for the burger. But not just any burger. I went for the zinger, because it's a little bit more exciting, because otherwise the burgers are pretty boring compared to a twister. So I said, okay... I'll give you that. But obviously the burger's price has also gone up by like a buck 50 or something. I mean, I was so annoyed. So, but i while I'm here, I'm not just gonna drive off, I'm gonna get it. So I get there and obviously pay, and the man's like, oh, I hope you enjoy your burger. And I was like, oh. um, And you know, I needed lunch. So off I headed back to the office and I had my burger. And the moral of the story is, <laughs> <laughs> firstly, I should be eating healthier. <laughs> but, but more importantly, we sacrifice our time and money for what we believe will satisfy that will get us to that place of contentment, like just my appetite, I thought that that's what the Twister would do. But then we find that what we dreamed of doesn't really exist anyway. What we're pursuing doesn't actually exist. It's not there anyway. It doesn't come to pass. And then we settle for the second best thing, the burger, that costs more than we expected and doesn't satisfy at all. And it's kind of how we live our lives a lot of the time. Pursuing something, pursuing a state of life, pursuing a state of being, pursuing what we see and what we visualize as that which we crave. And then we get to that point in life and we realize that that which we craved doesn't actually exist. And then we go, okay, well, if that doesn't exist, I'm gonna settle for something that's okay but doesn't match up to what I thought would satisfy me. And what this message is really about is that there's only one who truly satisfies. There's only one who truly brings contentment, who really fills the void, who when we find him, we know he's the treasure in the field that's worth selling everything for. There's a passage in Matthew 13:44. 44. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. And it's a parable, it's a story. There's a number of these in the Bible where it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he covered it up And then, in his joy, he sold everything that he had to buy that one field. The principle that having Jesus, being part of his kingdom, being part of his family, is more valuable than anything we can pursue and is the only thing that will truly satisfy. And it's why I'm so passionate about today's message because Jesus is truly the only answer. He's the only way to overcome in life, He's the only source of victory. He's the only one who brings true satisfaction and true enjoyment. And sure, there's ways to get it without him. I'm not here to say that everything other than Jesus is terrible. It isn't. It's great things in life. It's great enjoyment in life apart from Jesus. Although I would say that the reason we can enjoy it is because of his creative power. But there is things to enjoy, but not the ultimate enjoyment. Not the one true, complete enjoyment. Everything will fall short of what we were created for and the life Jesus has for us. And so that's why I wanna look at what it takes to overcome in life. And I mean that in the deeper sense of the word, not just a short obstacle or not just me not being able to get a twister and getting over it. <laughs> I mean overcome in the deeper sense from big events to large events in all of life. So there's five things I wanna look at today. Three things, and then the two that are the result. So I wanna look at belief and what belief really is about. I wanna look at love, what it's really about. And then I wanna look at obedience, what that's really about and those three together belief love and obedience when we follow those as we should and as God wants us to follow them we live a life of freedom breakthrough and victory we do it isn't rocket science it's just difficult to get the three right in our hearts to follow on to the rest so I just want to read this passage and then I'm going to come back to it for those of you who don't have bibles or just for us to get back into it this is what it says 1 john 5 everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God of God. Amazing passage. Before we start and even get any further, I love the part where it says everyone. Right at the start, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Regardless of background, color of skin, everyone has an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter where you feel that you've messed up. It doesn't matter what you've been ashamed of. Everyone has an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord, to believe in the name of the Lord. And so, sitting here today, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're going, but there's that part of my life, he could never accept me. I've done that, he could never accept me. I haven't thought about him in that process, he couldn't accept me. He can and he does, and he wants to. Everyone. God is inclusive. So, it says, everyone. And then it jumps on a bit further. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Belief is where it starts belief is where it begins, almost. You see, we're not actually able to believe in Jesus without him first reaching out and touching us. It's amazing. So look at this uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5. If you're making notes, write it down. This is what it says, but God, being rich in mercy, God is merciful because of the great love with which he has for us. He loves us. Even when we were dead in our sin, Even when we're dead in our sin, as people dead in our sin, far from God, He made us alive together in Christ. So, actually, all of us are born uh, in a state not following God. We're born as kids not following God. And then God moves on us. He draws us to Himself, maybe through a friend, maybe through a family member, maybe through a church service like this, maybe through a vision. He draws us to Himself and He says, Hey, I'm real, I'm alive. And He gives us an opportunity to respond to Him. But belief is something so different to knowledge very different to knowledge. You can know a lot about something and not believe in it. And we need to make sure that we understand the difference. Because you can know about God, you can know about church, you can know about the Bible. It's very different to believing it. Very different. they are two opposite ends of the spectrum. So put it into modern-day context. uh, I do also like ice cream. Why do I always have food examples? It's actually a really dangerous thing. I think I I need to go for some counseling with Ian. I was just looking, going, another food example. (laughs) Anyway, so for my food example, because I love ice cream as well, and it's healthy, protein, all those sorts of things, very important to have a lot of it. So you can have knowledge that there's an ice cream at Pick and Pay down the road have knowledge. But until you really believe that it's worth the cost and worth the time, you're not going to get into your car, drive to pick and pay, purchase your ice cream, and enjoy it. So you can know that there's the ice cream there, but belief that it's the thing that you want, belief that it's something that's worth it, will actually get you to act on it. Knowledge alone won't do that. You have to believe in it deep down. Just like rugby and the sevens is on at the moment, which a number of us have been watching, you can know that it's happening at 3 o'clock today can have knowledge that it's happening in three today. But unless you believe that rugby is something worth sacrificing time for, unless you believe that, that rugby is something that you want to watch, you're not actually going to watch it. Whereas if you believe that it's something that you want to watch, that you want to be part of, you'll sacrifice time, you'll carve it out, you'll make sure that you watch that rugby game. So belief moves you to action. So when the verse says, everyone who believes, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And notice there, it says Jesus is the Christ. Because Jesus was just a name in biblical times, wasn't anything fancy, but calling him Jesus Christ was saying he was the promised one, the Messiah, the savior who was coming. What everyone had been looking forward to. So it's believing that Jesus is not just an everyday good person, oh, I know about him. It's believing he is the savior of the world, the anointed one. Everyone who believes that that's the case is born of God, is a Christ follower. You can't be a Christ follower with, without believing deep down that Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who died for your sin and for mine. So here it's not talking about knowledge, about, oh, I believe there's a God somewhere in the cosmos. I believe there's one somewhere. I, th- I think there's a God. I think there's a, there's a big man in the sky. Or I think Jesus is probably not a bad guy. I I think he was a good prophet. I think he was an okay man. I have some knowledge of that. It's not what the verse is talking about. It's talking about true belief. Something that changes your life. Something that reorientates what you thought was important. Something that changes the direction. That changes your thought processes. Alters your behavior. Changes your allegiance. That's what it's talking about. Real, true, lasting belief. Something that changes you and transforms you, if your belief in Jesus is not moving you to walk closer to him, to lay down your life for him, I want to suggest that it's more knowledge than belief. Because belief will cause change in your life. When you believe, you'll see your heart changing to love God, to love what he loves, longing to obey his commands. And then you know that knowing him has changed to believing in him. Maybe some of you are exploring faith today. Maybe you're on the journey. And I want to encourage you on the journey of faith. And that's what we're about You. We're all on a journey. We're in different places. But whether you're here visiting and you've never heard about God or you've heard about Him but not that much about Him or you've been a Christ follower for many years, I want you to know that every step of the journey, He's yearning you and He's calling you to have a deeper and closer and real relationship with Him. And the reality is, is that you can't get to live a life that overcomes a life of freedom and breakthrough without belief you can't short circuit the process many of us try to but you can't so it starts with belief and from there it moves to love look what it says everyone who believes that jesus is the christ has been born of god and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him by this we know that we love the children of god when we love god And so we've been talking about this a while. I'm not going to spend a huge time, but Ian shared on it last week. As Christ followers love, loving Jesus and loving others is a natural overflow of him changing our heart. It's a natural overflow of belief. And the reason why it's a natural overflow is if you believe that Jesus is the true Messiah, if you believe that without him, we would be lost. If you believe that he came down and he saved you of your sin to give you an opportunity to be in heaven with him and to live a life of freedom now, your natural overflow is love. Your natural overflow is, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you did for me and I love you on behalf of that. Thank you for your love for me. You'll no doubt be drawn to love him when you see what he did for you on the cross. We've covered what it means to receive and give love, give the Father's love. Ian spoke on that so well last week the next step that occurs after belief is love. And friends, if your life as a Christ follower isn't characterized by love between mothers in the prayer meeting before, then you need to ask the questions of where your belief is because it should be a natural overflow. Yes, there's gonna be people that annoy us. (laughs) It's gonna be people that frustrate us. But if your life isn't growing in love towards people, people who you like, people who you don't like, You need to ask the question of where is your belief state with God? Because through our lives as Christ followers, we should be loving more and more, Him and others at the same time. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and... The Bible is saying that is not a nice thing to hear. <laughs> if we sat here and someone just went gang with one of those huge symbols, we'd be out of here. So he's saying you can do anything powerful, but if you don't have love, it's a waste of time and it's not a nice thing. If I have prophetic powers, that means I can say things that are that are going to be and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith to remove mountains, it's a serious amount of faith, having all the knowledge in the world, but I have not love, I'm nothing. It's a challenge from the Lord challenge from the lord we can go after stuff and say we want to see more healing and i want to be able to prophesy and all these different things god's saying actually the first step is love (laughs) do you love get that right then let the rest come if i give away everything i have if i'm radically generous and if i deliver up my body to be burned if i lay down my life but i have not love i gain nothing the result of belief in jesus christ and a love relationship with the lord moves you to obedience Moves you to obedience. And this is probably one of the hardest ones for each of us, one of the hardest ones for me. And this is what it says in verse three of that, in verse 2 of that passage. When we love God and obey his commandments. That's when we know that we're ki- his kids. We obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Great challenge. His commandments are not burdensome. And John directly links love and obedience. He says the same thing. If you love God, you obey him. They go hand in hand together. Whilst that may seem strange, we know that to be true with children and parents. So, not necessarily when your kids are young, and probably not with Matt. I'm sure you still have to get whacked and stuff like that, Matt. Still learning the process, struggling to love your parents. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, obviously, toddlers or younger, they, they maybe don't have the capacity as much. But as you get older, the reason that you obey your parents is twofold. One, through fear. You might obey through fear. That's not, that's not the right way to obey. What you should move to is you obey because you know that they love you. So when you know that your parents love you, you actually want to obey them because you understand that what they're asking you has your best interests at heart. It's the same with God, but in a greater sense. If he has our best interests 100% at heart, then when he asks us to do things, when he gives us things to obey, then we should be jumping at it, going, God, if you love me that much, if you die for me on the cross, then what you have for me and what you say is definitely the road that I want to be on. So loving him leads to action. It leads to obedience. Because we can't merely love with words that's cheap. There has to be action. And I'm talking to myself here because I I talk quite a lot and I have to work at not talking as much. But so it's easy for me to say things. Even me to like phone Sarah or send her a message and be like, oh, Sarah, I really love you. And I can do that like every day, all day. It's easy. And I think that, you know, it's being very loving to say that. But she's like, you know, Craig, it is nice for you to say that, but not really if you don't do anything, (laughs) (laughs) He's like, the words are easy. Like, yes, it's great that you thought of me in the day, but is there any action to back up what you're saying? And so that's why what we say and what we speak and saying we love needs to follow through in action. A few reasons why we might not obey. Here's a few reasons why we might not obey. Firstly, we don't believe that Jesus is actually loving. We don't actually think that God is a loving God. And I think this one's fairly easily canceled by gazing at the cross. I think it fairly easily cancels that by gazing at the cross. And people have a number of questions, particularly in hard times. Is God loving? Why did he do this? Um, I don't understand this. Why has my life gone this way? And they're valid questions, and we can ask these questions. But the one thing that we can't discount is God's love because of the cross. We just have to go to the cross, and we may not understand everything else, but when we see Jesus crucified for us on the cross, we know that there's love. We know that there's love involved. And so for us not to obey based on saying that God isn't loving, I think we can fairly easily discount because of the cross. A number of other passages as well, but Matthew 11, verse 28 is one. This just shows God's heart for us as well. He says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" doesn't sound like a harsh, horrible God to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's a loving God. That's a loving response. It's a God who cares for us. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So based on the cross and a number of other things in the Bible and what the Bible shares about God, we can fairly easily discount the part of saying, I'm not gonna obey you, God, because you aren't a nice God. What about another reason? And this may be a bigger one. We want to obey him, but we're concerned that we may miss out. We want to obey God, but we're concerned that by obeying him and following him, we might miss out on some of what the world promises us, some of what society promises us. And this is a trust issue. So the issue you're dealing with in your heart is, does Jesus really have my best interests at heart? He loves me. But when he asks me to do things, when there's things that he lays out, does he really have my best interests at heart? Or is he a bit of a killjoy trying to keep me from what the world can really give me? So that's the next question and the next thing that might stop us from following him. I just want to say as well in that one sure, there's a cost to following Jesus. There is. In fact, it says in Hebrews that Moses preferred to be mistreated with the Israelites than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. Such an interesting verse where Moses said, listen, I would rather have things tough with the Israelites, where things are difficult, things are hard, but there's one true God that we're following than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. And so there is gonna be this battle in our hearts of Lord, you're asking me to do this, but it just looks so good as well, doing the opposite. We've gotta have this battle in our hearts of going, do we trust that Jesus has our best interests at heart. Next reason why we might struggle to obey, we want to, but we're fearful of the cost. So one is that the pleasures look great. On the other side, this one is, is, but is it gonna cost me? Is it gonna cost me? And there is gonna be a cost. And Jesus is clear. But I wanna say that what we gain is far greater than any cost of what we can give up so, I just want to say, don't believe the lies of the enemy that obeying God is not worth the cost involved. Because he'll throw that into your mind. He'll throw that into your heart. He'll be like, ah, giving up alcoholism. Ah, why? You know, it's just too much of a cost. It's going to be too hard. It's not really that great if you do. Maybe living with someone instead of getting married, maybe living together as boyfriend and girlfriend, and, and him going, ah, but actually, you know, Satan will throw these lies in, going, ah, come on, it's not, it's not that important. You know, why would you, why would you go the, the route of marriage? That's what you'll try and do. You'll try and discount God's best for you. But God's best, the cost that you might have in changing and restructuring your life is worth what you gain. Brian Houston, he leads Hillsong Church, and he says there's three ways that we learn in life. The first thing is we learn from other people's mistakes. He says that's the best way to learn. Rather learn from what someone else did wrong. Obviously, it's not nice that they did it wrong, but learn the lesson and make sure it doesn't happen to you. Second way that we learn is from our own mistakes. He says that's a lot harder than the first one, but at least we can still learn. So first one: learn from other people's mistakes. First price. Just don't go there. Second one, learn from your own mistakes. It's going to be painful, it's going to be hard, but you'll still learn from it. And he said, third one is learn from your failure. Learn from your failure, not just a small mistake but an utter failure. He was sharing stories of people who've absolutely bombed out for various reasons in ministry. And those three, I think, are so helpful when it comes to obeying Jesus and following Him. Firstly, when it comes to obeying Him, look at the other mistakes people have gone and just said, Lord, please, I don't want to make the mistake that happened there. Second one, if you make the mistake, and we're all gonna make mistakes or you're living in it at the moment, go, Lord, please help me to learn from this and get things right before it becomes a failure. Then the final one, when, when the bottom really has fallen out, there's always a way back. There's always a way back with God, but it's the hardest way back because there's the most collateral damage. There's always ways to learn, but learn from the first one is easiest. And we have this internal battle with our sin nature. Look at Paul in the Bible, Romans 7. He was one of the greatest church leaders. He was, he was the one who you know, was involved in many church plants, wrote a uh, majority in terms of book-wise of the New Testament. This is what he says in Romans 7, and I I get this in my heart as well. For I know um, that nothing good dwells in me. He's talking about the fact that in himself, without Jesus, he's a mess. That is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I really want to do the right thing, God, but I just can't do it. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. I don't do what I really want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. And I just love that this guy was a hero of the faith. And he's saying, just like all of you guys, I'm battling to do what God wants me to do. He goes on further and he says, but it's about Christ living in me. It's about me resting on him to help me. So we're always going to have this battle with our sinful nature talking about love last week you're always going to have this battle with people who push in front of you at the kfc line and you want to jump out and you want to smash their car with coke bottles i've never thought any of these things you know you want to spike their tires you know i mean just i've never thought of this sort of stuff but um, i'm just throwing it out now because you guys have thought of it (laughs) so you have the you know you have those thoughts and you have this battle with your sinful nature and then you have the other side going yes it is wrong but actually you need to love them Yes, it is wrong, but it's not the end of the world. So, you know, you have this internal battle, and we need to move to Jesus' side. John, 1 John 4, verse 4, if you jumped back a little bit in your verses, uh, it says, little children, you're from God and have overcome them, talking about what you overcome. For he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So when you're struggling, when you're struggling to obey, when you're struggling to live out your faith, remember that the one who's in you, Jesus Christ who's changed your heart, is the one who you rely on and he's the one who'll pull you through. You don't do this in your own strength. So getting towards the end, last, last few minutes, what are the results of true belief, love, and obedience? What are the results of those? This is what it says. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Isn't that an amazing phrase? overcomes the world and talk about that a bit more and this is the victory that has overcome the world it is our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that jesus is the son of god the results of belief love and obedience is a life that overcomes the world and a life that experiences victory in the big things in your life and in the small things And a biblical terminology, when it talks about the world, it's not just talking about us globally. Usually when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about something in rebellion to God. So it's in a negative sense. It's talking about a system, a society that's anti-God in its behavior. And it's interesting, you can actually see it in BBC coming across in this whole thing about Israel. don't know if any of you have been watching it. Very interesting to see. And it was so interesting that... I don't think it's all right in necessarily everyone's comments, but what the, UN, uh, the U.S. ambassador was saying to uh, the U.N. is she was saying, it's just so interesting that you never ever stand up for Israel. And she was having this comment on it. And so what we talk about is we live in a worldly battle that on the whole is anti-Christ. It's anti-Jesus, it's anti-what God stands for. It's in rebellion to God. So when it talks here saying, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, it's saying, listen, when you believe in Jesus, when you're growing in love and when you're growing in obedience to Christ, you will overcome everything that the world has to throw at you in a negative sense. You'll be able to withstand the temptations that it throws at you. You'll be able to withstand the deceitfulness of wealth. You'll be able to withstand those sorts of things because Christ Is in you. So let's look at freedom and breakthrough in this lifetime. Because the the passage talks about, but you'll be able to overcome the world. Galatians 5, verse 1 says that for freedom Christ has set us free. And a number of you here, and there's probably things that I'm in bondage to as well, but are in bondage, are held, are chained by different things in your life that the world has gripped on you and it's holding you back. It could be anything, it could be money, it could be lust. Pornography could be success, could be status, could be comfort. There's things the world throws at us that it tries to grip and say, what's most important for you is to be comfortable. What's most important for you is to be successful. These are things that actually hold you back from what God has called you to, from what God has called you to live out. Is it bad to be successful? Not at all. Is it bad to have comfortable things in life? Not at all. But when they become your everything, when they hold you back from what God's calling to you, it becomes a problem. I want you to know today that God's commands are liberating. They may be challenging, they may look tough at first, but they're actually there to free us. They're there to free us to the life that, he called, that he's called us to. And so if you wanna be free today, at the end of the service, I'm gonna pray for people. You're not gonna tell me what it is. I'm just gonna pray for people who want freedom. You know there's an element of your life that's holding you back. That's almost on a bungee cord that's preventing you from living all out for Jesus. We'll pray for that in a short bit but finally what does victory really look like in this life and the next and John says something so interesting and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith sounds so simple but Lord isn't victory more than that surely victory is greater than that surely it's living a life free from sickness surely it's having a full bank account surely it's you know the list could go on it's our faith that's victory that's victory it's so what Jesus classes as victory. It's not what we may expect. It doesn't say victory means no sickness or victory means you're always healed or victory means you're always comfortable or victory means you defeat everything you struggle with or victory means you've got a nest egg for retirement. It doesn't say that. It says that victory is your faith. The others can be great add-ons, but victory is your faith. Overcoming is when your faith remains strong to the end, when no matter what you face, Your faith does not waver to death. And then what is the result? It's a victory for all eternity. It's a victory for all eternity. It's not about perfect health, great wealth. It's about living all out for Jesus. The pull of the world, the pull of sin, does not affect true Christ followers because their resistance stands strong to the end. The final promise, the final challenge, who is it that overcomes the world? goes back to the beginning, his circular argument, the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. I want you to know that without a shadow of a doubt, the only way to living a life that overcomes in this life and the next is belief in Jesus, who is the Christ. It's the only way, there is no other, there is no other. We can be so tempted as we look at media and look at TV to see those who are successful in society's eyes, those who are admired. They may be great people, but the bottom line is, as the Bible is so true that the only way to truly overcome is Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's belief in Jesus, the Son of God who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one true King. Let's pray. It's been an amazing sense in the service just of being family together, of weeping with each other, of crying together, of singing, singing songs of worship, of showing God's worthship. I think what I want to key in most today is I really want us in this room today to live a life of victory, to live a life that overcomes this world and the next. That comes from faith in Jesus Christ and also comes from Truly believing, truly loving, and truly obeying. What I'd love you to do, no one else is looking around. But maybe you're sitting here today going, I've had knowledge about God, but I don't think it's belief. I've had knowledge of who he is, but I don't think it's belief. And, and today I, I want to believe. <laughs> today I want to say, God, it's you and only you, and, and you're the one I believe in. You're the one I put my trust in and put my faith in. And only you, and I put your faith, my faith in you in this lifetime and, and in the next as well. I believe that when you stepped down and died for me on the cross, you meant it and it was real and you paid the price for my sin. If that's you, I, I want you to do something bold. No one's, no one's looking around, but, but just slip up your hand and it's, it's not about me looking or anyone else. It's about you just being a bit bold and saying, yep, God, that's, that's me. I've realized that I've known a lot but I haven't believed and, and I, want, I want you to save me, Lord. I want to put my trust in you now and all eternity and if that's you, just pop up your hand. No one's, no one's looking around. It's, it's just between you and God. It's a chance for you to say, God, I believe. I believe. A few people have popped up their hands. That's great. It's just no one else is looking around. Great, I've, if you've popped if you popped it up and held it up, great. Put it down again. It's, it's just between you and God. It's, it's, it's a way of you saying, great, three, four people. Just in, just in your heart, you can, you, you've already put up your hand to say you believe. That's the stand. But you can, you can just in your heart just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I acknowledge that without you, I'm dead in my sin. That in standing before a perfect God, there's no hope. But thank you for paying the price for me, Jesus. Thank you for paying the price for me. Please forgive me of my sin. Just say it in your heart to him and whisper it on your breath if you want. For those of you who put up your hands, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. I'd love to share more about what it means to be a Christ follower. But just in your heart, you can change allegiance and say, I believe. Romans 10 verse nine. Amazing little passage, and it's a really short one, just with our heads bowed again. And I just want to share what it says because it's a great intro note says if you confess with your mouth and whisper on your breath or however you do it that Jesus is Lord or you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead you will be saved what a great promise and those of you in this room some of you have moved from to a new life today and then some of you today you need freedom because you're in bondage you're in bondage to a small thing maybe pleasing people or you're in bondage to, to something larger And if you're feeling that and if you just know as I've been talking when I was talking through bondage and struggling to obey, the Holy Spirit's so good. He He just points it out to us. You'll know what it is. Without anyone looking around, I'd also love you to be bold to say, Lord, today, please give me that freedom. No one's going to know what it is. You're just putting up your hand to say that I know the thing, Lord, and please give me freedom from it today. So just raise your hands if that's you. For the big or small, the thing that you know that's held you, for many years, you can just pop up your hand and say, Lord, that, that's me. And there's a number of hands going up. Amazing. And the Lord's always loving. <laughs> he never, never condemns us. He challenges us, yes. But he'll be whispering in your heart and he'll be saying, I've got better for you. I want to help you through this. I've got more for you. And just pop your hand down again once you put them up. That's great. Thank you for your courage. It's just between you and the Lord. Once you've popped up, put it down. Lord, for these precious people who've raised their hands to say, I, I realize there's something I'm dealing with that's holding me back, and I need your help. Thank you, like Paul shared in Romans 7. He was like, Lord, you're the one who helps. I can't do it on my own. For these people, I ask right now for breakthrough from what's holding them back. That right now chains would be broken, that they'd experience a freedom that they've never experienced before, that they would walk in a sense of victory, in a sense of overcoming faith like never before. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the one who breaks chains. You're the one who gives us strength. You're the one who helps us say no, to say goodbye to things that have held us back, forgetting what's behind, pushing on to what's ahead. It's what it's about in the Christian faith. And for, so for these precious people, please do something special in their heart today. And for all of us here, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one true king. Thank you that you're the one who brings life and you bring life in abundance. And I ask for each of us that, in a process wherever we are on the journey of faith, we would walk more and more in the life that you've called us to. In your incredible name, we pray. Amen.